I don't know about you, but I often wonder, is God really active in my life? Is he actively changing things day by day? Is he actually leading people my way at particular times, in particular places? Or are those moments that feel like that just coincidence? You know, is he actually doing things here and now? I know he loves me up there, and when we're here at church, it feels like he loves me, he feels close. But tomorrow, a few days' time, when I really need him, is he active in my life? You know, when we're saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this thing that's ahead of me. When we're saying, I don't know what my next step in life is. When we're saying there's this desperate situation, and I need you, Lord. You know, I need you in this, in the things where cancer's involved, in uh, relationships, uh, where there's um, mental illness. You know, I need you, Lord. How can we be completely confident that God is going to show up in those moments? In this part of Ezra's story, uh, we read of a man, Ezra, who is confident that God is for him. He is confident God has his hand on him and the rest of God's people. He's so assured that God is going to show up in the nitty-gritty of life, not in some kind of service, but when the poop hits the fan, as they say. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what uh, challenges you're up against. Uh, in work at the moment, I work just around the corner at Interactive Workshops, and uh, we're, we're looking to hire another junior designer. That's been, that's been a big challenge over the past few weeks. Uh, as a company, we also wrote a book, so now's my time to give a shameless book plug. Uh, pre-order now on Amazon. And uh, we also just moved office. We didn't actually move office, we just moved upstairs within our office. But it seemed like a massive deal because we had to move everything from our office, take it upstairs, and then put it back out. Uh, And there were iMacs, there were expensive screens, there was people stuff that weren't actually there to make the move. And I was tasked with actually kind of leading this and and, uh, sorting everything out. So I felt a full responsibility for this, and it felt like quite a big deal until I read about Ezra, who had to move 5,000 people over four months uh, on this journey from Babylon, where God's people had been exiled to, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. I mean, that's, that's massive, isn't it? I thought moving kind of 15 people up a floor uh, was difficult, um, but there were 5,000 people, uh, children, women, elderly. I don't know what you think about camping. A few of you know me and know I don't really like camping, and so new wine is quite a challenge for me. Uh, spending a week in a tent isn't my idea of a holiday. Um, But can you imagine if this whole church was on a four-month-long camping expedition, except you can't just pitch your tent and then leave it there. Every few days, you've got to redo the whole tent, take it with you, and then re-pitch it again. Not my cup of tea. Uh, Ezra and uh, uh, Israel at this time also had all the gold and silver, all those things that uh, they've managed to negotiate in the reading so well. Um, All those things, all those things they counted out were expensive, and that made them a prime target on that journey. So can you imagine if you were tasked with leading that expedition, this whole church, actually 10 times this whole church, on that expedition, and it's actually going to be really dangerous. But if Ezra's task is so much greater, so much more dangerous, and involves so much more camping than anything we're up against, uh, how is it that he is so confident that God's hand is on him? How does he have 
that boldness to take courage when he's up against that. Ezra knows something. And it's not how long it's going to take him when he's plugged into City Mapper. It's not that he knows he's got people who are going to defend him against any of the attacks that might come their way. It's that he knows God. And more than that, he knows God's hand is on them. Uh, a little bit about God's hand. Nicola spoke uh, at St. Albans this morning, and uh, she was talking about how God's hand is referred to in the Bible as a saving hand and a creating hand. Uh, it's also the kind of hand that a child clings onto uh, to, to feel safe. It's like uh, a hand on the shoulder from your manager that lets you know that they've got your back. Uh, it's the hand of a friend who comforts you uh, when you're low, uh, something Emily and I like to call the supportive elbow, uh, where you just, just place a little elbow here. Come and give you just a little supportive elbow. There you go. Just need a little supportive elbow. There you go. Yeah, it's that kind of hand, okay? It's, a, it's an encouraging hand. How did that feel? Is that, you feel supported, yeah? Good, good. It's that kind of hand. It's, the, it's a hand that's laid on uh, to a friend in prayer. That's the kind of hand that God has placed on them. And there are three things I think we can learn from Ezra's approach to help us have that same confidence and courage. Let's go through them one by one. The first one I want to introduce by way of a joke as a bit of a tribute to Dennis because he's uh, no longer with us. He, remember, hasn't died. He's just gone to Shepherd's Bush. And, uh, yeah, I know, sad, sad. I've got a joke to cheer you up. So a man is in the market for a horse. So he goes to his local horse retailer, as you do, and asks the man for his best horse. And the man says, oh, you're just, you're just in luck. I've just had a delivery of smart horses. So the man says, great, what, what do smart horses do? And he says, well, smart horses, they can read road signs and just interpret what they mean. So when you see a slow sign, the horse will just stop by itself. When you see a stop sign, the horse will stop. When you see traffic lights, the horse will wait till it goes green, go through. And says, that sounds great, take my money. And buys his horse, gets on the horse, hits the road comes across a, a slow sign, the horse slows down. Comes across a stop sign, the horse stops. Comes across traffic lights, the horse waits till it goes green, carries on. Until it gets to the end of the road where the horse just collapses. Like just literally buckles under the weight. And I go, this isn't right, it's not supposed to do that. Takes it back to the horse retailer, says to the horse retailer, you sold me a rubbish horse. It just collapsed at the end of the road. The man says, ah, well, that'll be the sign at the end of the road. Oh, what does it say? It says, give away. <laughs> Dennis, I hope you're listening on the, uh, on the podcast. That was for you. Now, I, I don't drive, but I know full well that a giveaway sign does not mean collapse. It means give priority to the other traffic. It means let other traffic go first. Let them have their way. And that's what Ezra does as a starting point. He gives way to God. That's the first thing. Uh, in verse 23, it says, So we fasted and petitioned to our God, and he answered our prayer. It sounds really, really obvious, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this in church, but it starts with prayer. <laughs> Ezra is so passionate about this prayer that he fasts and describes his prayer as a petition. Now, I don't remember the last time I prayed about something so hard I would call it a petition. And to my shame, maybe, I've never cared about anything enough to actually fast about it. I've never just gone, right, I'm not eating for a day. Um, no matter how much I've cared about things I've prayed for in the past. But Ezra is taking prayer seriously. It's his first port of call. 
And there are times where we sometimes plead to people for support or safety or change, but other times we certainly need to give way to God. Uh, this was definitely true when uh, Emily and I moved to Chiswick. About two years ago, we were still in Bedford, and uh, we were looking for a move for Emily to do a worship internship. And we came across this church, uh, Christchurch W4, who did a worship internship. Thinking, great, that sounds good. Let's go and check out the church, see what they've got available. But we were coming with uh, me leaving my job, which I had in Bedford, Emily looking to do an internship, which I don't know if you know, aren't particularly well paid. And... Uh, that was, that was all we had. We didn't have kind of a house here. There was, there was nothing else to it. There was no other income. So we were kind of coming hoping that, um, that Richard and Nicola might have a house somewhere that was free and we could just move straight into, or there'd be some kind of way where they're thinking, oh, we'll just double the internship salary. Yay! Um, and uh, we came and visited this church, came to the morning, came to the evening. And then afterwards, uh, Richard was, was just like, uh, that's, so that's the internship. That's, that's the salary. There's, there's no house. Uh, if, if God wants this to happen, it'll happen. And for us, that, that felt bitterly disappointing. We had a complete lack of faith in that moment and just went home thinking it wasn't going to happen. But what Richard was actually doing was just giving way to God. He was just saying, you know what, humanly speaking, maybe, maybe it's not going to happen. But God can have his way and it can happen. In a couple of days' time, Zoe and Levi got in touch with us about the house that we could house share, and the rest is history up until the present. So give way to God. Let him uh, take you through the road ahead. He knows what's coming, and we need to be looking to him uh, for his hand to be on us. Uh, the second thing is to uh, weigh out. We see that in the passage. Uh, the, those gold and silver, the shiny objects, the expensive things that they had uh, were weighed out. Uh, and that's the second thing we can use to grow in confidence uh, that God's hand is on us. I don't know if you've heard the expression, uh, count your blessings. It's kind of a dated expression now. Uh, but that's exactly what's happening there. They're literally counting the blessings. They're weighing it all out. Uh, everything that's been given by the people and the royals uh, in verse 25. I weighed out to them the offerings of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, his officials, and all Israel present there had donated for the house of, the Lord, of, of our God. So weigh out what comes your way. I think everyone here is old enough to remember when uh, Woolworths was on the high street. And uh, most people here are young enough to remember that the pick and mix was the best bit about Woolworths. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you ever went in with your parents, um, but um, it, was, it was the best. You could just pick and choose whichever sweets you wanted, and they gave you this little, little paper bag, and uh, usually you've got to like, manage the scoop, so give mum and dad the bag, just go around, scoop here, scoop there, into the bag, into the bag, into the bag, and it was only when mum or dad took it to the till and got it weighed that the, like, the scale shot up, and it was like 500 grams of sweets, and they've got to fork out like 30 pounds for this one bag of sweets. And they're thinking, how much? Goodness me. Wow. And they've got no choice at that point. You can't put the sweets back. Uh, so it's so important to weigh out uh, what's been given to you. And by that, I mean, for me, it's actually only when I think back to what God's been doing for me, the ways he's blessed me, that actually I turn and thank him. You know, it's not talking about uh, boasting, but actually if we ignore or fail to see what God has been doing for us, actually we're just going to be really ungrateful. 
and we're not going to notice the, the blessings in our life. So sometimes I'll just reflect and I'll be like, I'm so thankful for Emily, my wife. Imagine the blessings I wouldn't have without her. And what an amazing job I get to do here in Chiswick. Thank God for that. And those words a friend said to me the other day, they were a real blessing. I've got here hands up emoji. So, okay. And when I reflect on these things, I, I'm so much more confident that God's hand is on me. He's, he's been there time and time again. Like, why wouldn't he, why would he stop putting his hand on me now after all those things. I can, I can tick off all through my life those places and times and moments where God has been there for me. Why is that, why is that going to stop today or tomorrow? So count your blessings way out, and you'll see that God has been, God's hand has been on you all this time. So give way, way out, and thirdly, uh, weigh in. Uh, weigh in uh, is about playing your part in God's people. This chapter ends with the king's orders being delivered and then assistance being given by those who they were delivered to. So verse 35 and 36, if you've got it in front of you, they say, uh, then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed, uh, they also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and to the governors of the trans-Euphrites who gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. The king inspires the serving. Everyone mucks in and they help on royal authority. I don't know if you thought about it, but everything you do for this church, whether it's serving tea and coffee, leading worship on the sound desk, uh, leading worship, putting chairs away, you do it for the king, the king of kings. We meet together as a church because Jesus is on the throne. If he wasn't, if he hadn't rose, rose again, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> If we uh, see this as a, as a kind of club, we won't really weigh in. I mean, why would we bother? Loads of people aren't even here. Loads of people aren't mucking in. But if we see it as an opportunity to serve uh, the Jesus that is seated on the throne, then we'll serve. We'll step in. We'll love our brothers and sisters with the love that Jesus has shown us. We'll do it on the king's orders. And if you don't do your bit, you'll look like a twit. And to illustrate this, I want to tell you uh, how the day before I uh, was due to be married to Emily, uh, I nearly called the whole thing off. Now, this goes back uh, about five years, and um, uh, this is uh, when we were engaged. We'd been engaged for a long time. We'd done a lot of wedding prep over that time. But if you've been married, if you got married, you'll know a lot of stuff just can't happen until kind of the last week before. There's a lot that kind of just has to wait until last minute. But we had the whole week planned out. We had the whole week off. We'd finished uni. We weren't working yet. We had friends and family coming to help us for this whole week where we'd hired a house. We were all staying together. Emily had checklists, organized as ever. Everything listed down, uh, checking everything off telling everyone what to do, uh, can't go wrong, right? And um, it got to the uh, Friday of this week, so this week is kind of the culmination of our engagement before we're about to get married, and then this week itself culminates in our wedding rehearsal on the Friday evening. And we stood there at the front of church like this, the vicar is here, so Emily and I stood here face to face going through our wedding vows. And it's quite a special moment because you know that the next day that is going to be massively significant. And um, so I'm saying I will take you, Emily, to be my lawful wife. 
And uh, Emily's saying, I'll take you, Chris, to be my lawfully wedded husband, whatever you say. I can't remember now. And um, <laughs> it's not important now. Done it, signed it. Uh, and the, the vicar, as we stood here, so, so we're surrounded by just our close friends and family. This is just a rehearsal. So we've got like my best friends, Emily's best friends, uh, my parents, Emily's parents. So this is the family that I'm about to be married into. Uh, same for Emily. It's quite like an intimate moment. And the vicar uh, turns to me while we're just after we're doing these vows and says, Chris, you did pick up the bands of marriage on Thursday, didn't you? And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the bands of marriage are the only legal bit you need to get married. Like the cake, the dresses, that is actually just all kind of like faff and fun. Like the only bit you actually legally need to get married is the bands of marriage from your local parish. Like that's when we have the reading each week about the bands of marriage. That's all that official bit. It's the only bit you need to legally get married. And uh, I said, no, I, uh, I didn't actually. I, f- I forgot to pick up the bands of marriage. I forgot that was the thing. It wasn't on any of the lists. And uh, the vicar says, Chris, I-, I can't legally marry you tomorrow without those. And obviously this is in front of all, all my family, all my friends. Ah! <laughs> if you don't do a bit, you look like a twit. Obviously, we uh, were able to get married. We did find the bands of marriage. We did get those, and uh, we did get married the next day. We didn't have to call the whole thing off. Uh, but it does just go to show, if you don't do your bit, you will look like a twit. This, has, this church has so many ways in which you can uh, get stuck in. It has so many ways you can, um, you can join a team, you can serve uh, alongside other people. Uh, Nicholas shared, last week, I think it was last week at St. Albans, uh, the coffee rotor, Everyone, if everyone in the church served once, there would be too many people to fit on the rotor. And it's the same here. If everyone chips in and does their bit, then actually you'd have too many people. It's so simple. But actually we, we find it quite hard, don't we? We actually kind of don't really want to give up that extra little bit of time or extra little bit of energy. Uh, a vicar uh, of mine once put it like this. If you're not serving, there's a gap. That, that really hit me, actually, because you often think, oh, other people have got it. Other people have got it covered. But no one wants a leaky church. No one wants a church with gaps. So plug that gap. Your assistance is actually vital to this church in being a, a beacon in our community. When God's hand is on you, move, serve, go. We can't just be praying and counting our blessings We have to be moved into action. It's no use for God's hand to be on you, but actually you're not doing anything with that love that he's placing on you. You're not pouring out into others. So we have to serve each other. We have to reach this community that doesn't know the good news of Jesus. It's only when we make that step of courage that we get the evidence that God's hand is on us, leading us and guiding us on our journey, uh, like it was for Ezra. So God has his hand on you. Those are the three things. How can we be so confident that God's hand is on us, that he's with us? Give way, way out, and weigh in. Because we're giving way to God and letting him lead our way. We're weighing out everything that he's done to bless us in the past. He won't stop now. And we're weighing in. We're ready to move, ready to serve on his order, the order of the king, the king of kings. 
if the band want to come back up, um, I'm going to guide us through some things that might help us pray into this. And um, whatever it is you're facing right now, I want you to be able to take courage and know God's hand is on you. What situation may be you facing right now that you need God's hand on you to help, to help you feel like you can face it? Maybe listening to, listening to this, you're, you actually just need to change your approach knowing that God's hand is on you and has been on you all this time. Do you need to look to God afresh? Do you just need to acknowledge that that, that, that hand is on your shoulder It's not just on other people, it's actually on you. I wonder if, um, just where we are now, if I can actually do something bold, if everyone just closes their eyes in prayer for a moment. And um, what I want you to do is just just stand up if if that's you. So the, the first people, um, I'd love you to stand if you uh, feel bold enough, is um, you, you do feel like you're facing a situation right now uh, that you just need God. It's one of those desperate situations where you just want God's hand on you. You don't feel like you can do it without him. If you just stand now. God wants to know that he sees you. People that are standing right now, he sees you and loves you and is placing his hand on you now. Holy Spirit, come and minister to these people that are standing right now. Father, thank you that you are a loving God. It is a loving hand that comes down and rests on our shoulder, that guides us through. group of people if you want to stand as well maybe it's that you've only just acknowledged that God's hand is on you and actually some of those things that you thought maybe were a coincidence before actually you're putting down to God now and you're saying yeah he has had his hand on me if that's you would you just stand now blessed us, every way you've blessed us that we've acknowledged and every way you've blessed us that we haven't. I thank you that there's so many good things you give us. Thank you that you won't let go now. if any of you just feel like you need to look to God afresh, if you feel like you just need to look to him actually maybe recently you you haven't, maybe
maybe you're, you've been distracted by other things. Anyone just needs to look to God so that he'll place his hand on you again. Would you just stand now?